Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. Hey, contractors, welcome to the Beyond the Tools podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, and today's guest is an absolute legend in the heating and cooling industry. Lawrence Castillo is the president and operating partner of Brody Pinnell Heating and Air Conditioning, the 77-year-old market leader of the Los Angeles residential HVAC market. Brody Pinnell has been voted the best heating and air conditioning company by the readers of the LA Times in both 2021 and 2022, and Brody is one of only two carrier dealers in the nation to have won the President's Award every year in its existence pretty impressive. Lawrence is widely recognized as one of the top operators in the North American market in residential HVAC. Earlier in his career, he served as the general manager of three of the largest residential HVAC businesses on the West Coast, each with over 150 vehicles on the road, including the nationally renowned service champions in Orange County. What's really cool about Lawrence is that he has operated businesses both in Canada and the U.S. and has seen firsthand some of the challenges that are different between those two markets. In our conversation today, we really dig into recruitment and how important it is to always be recruiting. I'm super grateful to Lawrence because he really has shared a lot of his secrets for finding new employees, their exact process to attract and build up talent, and some of the things that they do to make sure that their employees are happy and stay long term, even as far as giving incentives for referring other employees into the company. If you're like most home service companies and you're really struggling to find and keep the right team members, this conversation is a must listen. So let's head on over and chat with Lawrence. Lawrence, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. Glad to be here, Crystal. Appreciate you inviting me on and always great to be able to share a little bit of knowledge with you know my fellow contractors, both north and south of the border. So really happy to be here today. Love that. And I know we have so much that we can dig into. And with someone with a track record like yours and such a great experience in the industry, I don't often ask for a backstory, but I loved hearing a little bit about what you did before you started working in the trade. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And quite frankly, you're the only one that I've ever shared that story with. There's nobody in my 25-year career in heating and air conditioning that's ever told the story. But um, before ventured into heating and air conditioning, I was the executive director of the largest wild animal sanctuary in the United States. 
which here in the Angeles National Forest in in Los Angeles, and we had five or six hundred animals, and it was on you know I don't know a few hundred acres, and I had no experience with this. I was hired because I had experience running a business, and it was honestly the hardest job that I've ever had. Um, it makes heating and air conditioning so easy. And on the days that I'm having a tough day, I just remember, I say to myself, remember the, remember the sanctuary and the animals. Um, it was really difficult because it was massively underfunded. And my job was to manage, I had over a hundred employees and I had all these five or 600 animals. And I not only had to get the, the people paid and the animals fed, and, you know, we had like 50 lions and 130 chimps and, you know, just it, and it costs a lot to feed them. And this sanctuary was open to the public once upon a time and it had been closed. Department of Fish and Game closed it, you know, just safety reasons. And so it's, it was open for, for many, many years. Lots of people in Los Angeles visited it and donated over the years. And so then it closes and no one can visit. And when no one can visit, it's forgotten about. And as a result, no money's coming in. And so I'm having to just perform miracles every two weeks to hit the payroll. And, you know, every few months, a huge estate uh, would come in. Somebody left us $600,000 that used to go there as a child. And these would come in, but I'd have to take that $600,000 and just stretch it and make it last. So just perform a miracle constantly just to keep people you know, there and, and keep everybody fed. And it was just, it took years off of my life, but it was uh, an incredible experience, right? Like where else do you have a, a grizzly bear walking through your office? Or I just saw incredible stuff, incredible stuff. And um, so I, I do remember it on the days that air conditioning seems tough. Yeah, that's an incredible experience. And I imagine does lay a foundation for, you know, when things are a little bit difficult in business, you've been through much worse. I have, I would wait by the mailbox for the mailman and looking for those checks to arrive. And, you know, meanwhile, trying to uh, keep the thing going, but they closed it uh, last year after, you know, many, many years. And a lot of people in Los Angeles remember it fondly. And it was, you know, a great opportunity, a lot of celebrity involvement. They would all come and, you know, funny thing is the celebrities would come up there and they'd pose with the animals and they'd get their Instagram moment, but nobody was writing checks, right? They just, they liked, they liked that, the involvement of uh, having a boa constrictor around their neck, but nobody was going to write a check. So just uh, anyway, it was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I've no, I really haven't shared that with anybody, but that's what I did before I uh, ran in heating and air conditioning companies. Wow. So how did you go from the sanctuary to heating and cooling? Friend of mine, um, our kids went to school together and he had a company that was just had fallen upon hard times. He wasn't, he came from the commercial side of the business and got into the residential side and just didn't really understand what he needed to do to be successful. So I walked in there as the GM um, on the first day and I had no experience in the industry. So I had to teach myself. And within 18, 20 months, we turned that company around and sold it to a national consolidator. And um, it was, you know, it was great. I just, I learned so much, uh, a great first experience. And that was the job that saved me from the animal sanctuary. So <laughs> it a uh, long time ago, but um, yeah, just, you know, friends whose kids went to school together. 
That's awesome. And I know what's really unique about your experience is that you have managed heating and cooling companies both in Canada and the US. So I'm curious what you've seen as some of the biggest differences between those two markets. That's something that it's hard for me to be able to explain to my friends here in the States how different it is in Canada. I you know, I worked in British Columbia and I ran a company in Vancouver that was the largest residential heating and air conditioning company in the in the country. You know, 100 plus trucks and and just a, an amazing reputation, just a long-term success and a part of the fabric of Vancouver. And what my friends here probably wouldn't understand is is that to staff your business in Canada, what we had to do was I, I couldn't just re- you know here in California, I'm recruiting young people with personality and I can train them the technical aspect, right? You know, we put them through our training program and, and, and we turn them out as technicians and they're working on furnaces 10 weeks later. And in Canada, you can't do that. You need a gas ticket and a gas ticket is serious business. So you can't just recruit people um, off the street. And in that city, there's a hundred high rises going up. And all the skilled labor is in those high rises on the 32nd floor out of the rain, you know, and in Vancouver, that's a thing, you know, so they're out of the rain and they're, they're working for their union wage and they're not, they're not going to budge. So you have to get creative in order to recruit. So we were recruiting from the other provinces, trying to appeal to the people in Winnipeg and Calgary and Toronto saying, Hey, it's not cold in Vancouver. There's no snow. Come on over here. We, we need you. And then furthermore, I was doing Zooms every week with international candidates from Europe. A a lot of those folks were interested in moving over because their families had come over and had already settled in Canada. A lot of Americans don't realize what a multicultural place Canada is. And so these people from, you know, Iraq and uh, England and Ireland, they would do a Zoom interview. They wanted us to sign a work permit for them so that they could relocate their family. And, and, you know, that's another thing that, uh, you know, I, I, Americans don't quite understand is that in order to go to Canada to work, you have to have a permit, right? You can't just move across the border and look for a job. It doesn't work right. like that. So, you know, I had to really get creative recruiting out of province, recruiting in America. I, you know, we, we would place ads over the border, just trying to get some interest. And then we could talk to people about work permits, but so it's different, you know, uh, but it's, you know, just love Canada and just love all my contractor friends up there and everybody's fantastic. And, you know, half of my family and friends are up there. So um, we miss it. Was up there a couple of weeks ago. So oh, that's awesome. I always love speaking to Canadian guests as well as guests who uh, understand my land, you know? Yes. yes. <laughs> I love it. My, my, my son, you know, he's half Canadian. So he, he sings uh, "Oh Canada," and he knows most of the words, and um, doesn't know any of the words to the national anthem. But he knows <laughs> knows everything to "Oh Canada." So that's my wife working hard to make sure he, the Canadian side of him, is always showing. That's awesome. <laughs> so I know a lot of business owners, when it comes to growth, they think of sales primarily, but a big part of your strategy with the various companies that you've managed has been really on the recruitment side of things. So what's been the secret for you to be able to keep attracting new employees? It's having a plan for that growth. There are a lot of contractors who don't have a plan and you can ask them if they have a plan and they say they do, but they don't. 
Recruiting needs to be a system, just like anything else in your service business. If you're heating and air conditioning or plumbing, you have a process for replenishing your truck stock. You have a process for running a sales lead. You also have to have a process for how you're going to bring new talent into the business. And if you don't have that process, it's not going to work. So for me, it's something that I learned you know, a dozen years ago, and it really was my first experience in seeing how and, and helping to develop a system to recruit people into a business. I worked for a company in Orange County called Service Champions. And at that time, you know, we were about a $15, $16 million business. And we knew we had something special going on, but we knew that we couldn't grow the business unless we had a real process. So we developed Service Champions University and we wrote a curriculum and we had trainers and we had this whole process, but we needed to be able to get people into the business. So what we did we hired two people full-time who would be in charge of recruiting. They worked 40 hours a week to recruit, and that was their job. And that was really the only way that we were going to be able to you know, fulfill our growth plan. We had a budget set every year, and we said, hey, we're $15 million this year. We want to be $21 million next year and $28 million the year after. And you just can't do it without the manpower. So you know, we had those two individuals. They were responsible for the recruiting and you know it was for new talent but we also were looking to identify the the underperformers in all departments you know we were trying to exchange at the, the bottom 10% like good businesses do and so you know we established that process and and we sat down and we did the math and we said hey how many people are we going to need over the next 12 months to hit our budget how many people do we need over the next 3 months we had you know we calendar deadline dates you know, by this date, we have to have this many new people in our new training class. And we established ratios and we said, you have to have this amount of interviews in order to hire this amount of candidates. It was really just a matter of math. But, you know, were we positioning ourselves as an attractive place for candidates to work? And it's, it's your online presence and it's, you know, the, it's, it's your reputation, but it's also the wages that you're offering and the benefits and the culture that you have in the business. And, tried to put ourselves in in the place of the candidates you know the, the younger generation responds to different things so we just tried to make sure that we were the kind of business that people wanted to work in mm. and and I speak to to a lot of young people in some of the trade schools quite regularly and I I advise them and I say listen you're interviewing the contractor the contractor's not interviewing you you know you're you're doing your research and you want to work for a five-star company. You don't want to work for a three-star company um, who doesn't care about their, you know, their online reputation. And because if they don't care about their customers, they're probably not going to care about you as the employee, right? And so, you know, these are the things that we did in order to establish that plan. And, and of course, then you have to establish the budget. Just like your marketing budget, you know, you say that you're going to spend X amount of X percentage of sales toward your the marketing of your business this year and, and a, a variety of different mediums, right? It's going to be, hey, we're going to spend this much on television, this much on billboards, this much on direct mail. And, you know, you have to decide where you want to spend it in recruiting. You know, you've got, hey, how much am I going to do with Indeed? And how much am I going to put into trade schools? And how much money are we going to spend, you know, with with all the different mediums? So I've tried to be creative, you know, everything from geofencing my competitors' buildings and, and the supply houses, right? It's just like, they're, it's easy pickings there to, um, you know, utilizing my existing employee base. We have 
you know, all these people that work for us. Any technician that works for me knows 10 technicians that work for other companies, right? right? And all they do is talk to each other about, you know, what's wrong with the business that they work for. And so, you know, I make sure to utilize them. They're a great source of, of recruiting. Um, they need to be incentivized, but we make sure to let them know that we're looking for good, good people here. So, you know, it just to, to be able to recruit successfully, you have to have a plan and it's not simple. You need to really drill it down to the details. Yeah. So when you're looking at an incentive program for referrals, what does that look like? Or what are some of the things that that might entail? We're generous um, and we offer thousands depending upon the position, right? We're looking for customer service agents. We're looking for installation coordinators. We're looking for salespeople, technicians. We're looking for all these positions. And so we, you know, we'll say, hey, we'll give you X thousand dollars if you can bring a qualified candidate to us that we hire, but then we pay it in stages, right? If they stay for three months, you know, we'll give you X amount up front. And if they stay for three months, we'll give you another X amount. If they stay for six months, another blah, 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 up to a year, right? And at, at a year, they should, you know, get the full amount. But um, we just try to protect ourselves if, you know, they they leave the business for some reason. So, yeah, that's smart. And I know you talked about going into trade schools and speaking with students there. How has that played into your employee attraction strategy? It's quite important. Um, I, you know, we're, we have relationships with a number of trade schools and we're quite involved and, you know, the good trade schools, their, their job is to, to educate these young folks, but then also to help them be placed. And the good trade schools have relationships with really solid companies. Um, but there are a lot of companies out there that just, you know, they don't have a way to it's sort of like the companies that are doing a bunch of work for home warranty. Um, if you don't have enough business to keep your company busy, then you're going to look for a way to pick up some calls from another, you know, another stream. So there are some smaller companies that have relationships with these trade schools that probably aren't a good fit. And typically the guys that come out of trade school and go there, they're unhappy. And sometimes they get disillusioned and even leave the industry. So, you know, we make a, a point of of establishing good relationships with the trade schools. They they see our ratings. They see who we are in this marketplace. They understand you know the kind of business that we are. And and you know I go and I speak with these students, and we have them here. And we just that relationship is important. So you know I'm talking to these students constantly. You know they're they're in here for interviews. I'm going on site, and you know there's a common denominator with all of them. Mostly they're young, right? And they know somebody in the industry or their dad or their brother or something triggered an interest. Um, sometimes it's just that they like working with their hands and they're mechanical. So they said, hey, this might be a good way. And, and when they do come in and for an interviewer, I do go chat with them. I make sure to explain to them that what we do here is it's a customer service job. It's a little less mechanical than they think it is. And it's a lot more heavier bent on customer service. So I want them to understand that from the beginning, right? It's great that they're mechanical and that that's appealing to them, but they're not going to have success uh, in our industry unless they can talk to a stranger. You know, you, you, you walk into three strangers' homes a day, 
and it's weird, right? Like people don't want you in their house and they want you to take care of your business as quickly as possible. And Hey, I'm going to leave the check there on the table and just, you know, that's it. And in order to have success, you have to be able to talk to a stranger and make them feel comfortable and get them involved and educate them. And there's just, there's so much. And our guys here are really great at it. You know, we have all these five-star reviews all over the internet and people are happy to leave these reviews because the experience that we give is so unexpected. You know, it's just, we try to just make it just a really great thing. And so I explain this to the students and I think they really get a different appreciation for what, you know, they're in a nine month course to get their certificate and not all of them have been, this hasn't been explained to many of them. Like they think that they're going to be taking apart motors and rebuilding them. And that's not what we do. Right. We go out and we just make people happy and we're the heroes and we save the day and give them their heating and cooling back. And um, so try to educate those young people, but uh, the trade schools have been a great source of talent for us. Mm. I want to go back to the growth plan side of things. So when you're planning out the hiring that you're doing for the year, how much of that is proactive and how much of it is, you know, we need to make sure that we're at a certain level of business in order for us to go through with that hiring plan? For my businesses, it's been very deliberate. We've hired 40 people since December of last year. And, you know, that was all done with a purpose in mind. We have a budget that we set for the following year and we say, hey, we're going to do this much, you know, revenue. And it's just math. How much manpower do we need? You know, because if you know how many service technicians you have and what their truck revenue is going to be and, you know, or how many salespeople and what their, you know, revenue loop per lead is going to look like, or it's just, it's all math. So, but it's a very important part of the budgeting process. And if you do it proactively, you don't have to, there's no reactive part of it. Mm. I hired a lot of people in December and January of last year, a lot. And at that time of the year, guess what? Nobody's hiring, Mm. right? It's companies have some of their worst months in those two months. And I just, I knew in order to prepare for the summer, I had to get these people into the business, get them trained so that when April and May were rolling around, that they were qualified enough to run maintenance visits. And, you know, we continue their education to get them from maintenance to service, but you just can't stop recruiting. You always have to be recruiting, always, never stop. Because just when you think you have reached your optimum level of of staffing, guess what? Somebody goes out with COVID somebody's relative dies and they have to leave for a month because they go have to take, they have to go take care of, you know, of the arrangements. Um, Somebody moves away, somebody gets, you know, ends up in the hospital. There's always something. And then all of a sudden you're short. And if you don't have a plan for that, if you haven't planned for this, if you haven't been recruiting people and interviewing people, you're not going to recover from that. And you're going to constantly find yourself at a deficit. So if you're, if you're hiring and hiring, and interviewing and interviewing, you don't find yourself in that position. And then furthermore, on top of that, it's, you know, I have to be thinking about the number of vehicles that I need to keep, you know, them rolling on, on to keep us where we need to be from a revenue perspective. And you have to match that with the bodies. There's just, you know, there's a whole master plan. You know, that meme of the guy with the, all the strings and the, that's, you know, we've got that on this other wall that you can't see here. I've got the whole, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to make it all work. But 
So, you know, it's all about having systems and processes and a plan. Yeah. And you talked about having two recruiters full time that do this for you. And I know most of the companies that you've managed, you've got like 150 plus vehicles on the road. So if we take that down, I'm thinking of our average listeners, probably not at that level. At what point does it make sense to hire a recruiter? Or what advice would you give in that regard? I would say if you're a small contractor with, you know, let's say you've got between 10 and 20 trucks on the road and you have aspirations of being a bigger business as the operator, owner, whoever is running the business, you have to look at how much time you have to devote to recruiting. And I I can tell you for sure, because when I was running smaller businesses, oh, I was a I was a control freak. I wanted to do everything myself. Nobody could write an ad as good as I could. Nobody could interview the candidates as well as I could. And I didn't trust anybody with it. And so as you're trying to grow a business, there's so much that you have to deal with. Upset customers, you're trying to redo pricing, you're, you know, this, that, and the other. And guess what doesn't get done? The recruiting. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll run that new ad tomorrow. And it just doesn't get done. So, and that's a that process repeats itself every day. And you don't add new people to the business and you contract and you shrink and you were 20 people and now you're 17 and you're wondering why you, you know, you can't find any technicians. It's too late at that point. Now you're at a deficit of three people. So um, you, I think any business who is serious about growing should have one person devoted 40 hours a week to sourcing talent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your step to getting from 20 employees to 25 and 25 to 40. And without that person, certainly can tell you, I couldn't have hired 40 people here in the last calendar year if I didn't have people devoted to, to the recruiting because I wasn't going to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm smiling because we just hired our first recruitment firm. They're not an in-house recruiter, but uh yeah, and I've definitely seen that, okay, this is something I need to hand off because it's so time consuming, even the screening and interviewing process and all of that. It it takes a lot of time. Congratulations. That's a great move. That's your <laughs> next time we talk, you're gonna have people working for you. So that's great. See? I'm good. learning from you That's already. Good. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. And then when we look at the employee retention piece, which is obviously so key, if you're going to be constantly hiring, you want people to stay in the business. What have you seen to really set those employees up for success? It starts with not forgetting about them. You know, you work so hard to get them in the door. And if you're not organized After you bring them into the business, they're going to get disillusioned and they're going to say, you know, they told me all this stuff, how great they are. And nobody's telling me where I need to go and what I need to do. And if they get lost in the shuffle and forgotten about, and no one's checking in with them, then, you know, what you end up having is they, they start from a bad place and that can be dangerous. So for, for these young people, you know, we have specific meetings just with them right? We, we get them together in a room with the, the class before them so that they can give them some advice. But we, we schedule meetings with them specifically just to talk about what they're seeing, answer questions, let them know we care. What can we answer for you? Because a lot of them, they're young. They don't, they don't, they're embarrassed to ask. 
they don't know. So it's honoring your promises to them. A lot of it is about your culture. Those young new people are going to follow the path of all the others and their opinion of the company is going to be shaped by everybody else. And if you have positive people and a positive culture, then you're, you have a great chance of them just becoming great champions of your brand. But if you have, you know, some disillusioned people, some negative people, that's really dangerous for the new young folks that have entered your business. I found that a great secret to having happy employees is to feed them. We just, we feed everybody all the time here. We, this morning in the parking lot, we had all the griddles out and they made burritos for everybody. And what a, and afterwards, you know, us managers get together and talk about it. And what we see as they're standing around in the parking lot eating is just the camaraderie and they're smiling and they're talking to each other and they want that. They, they, they want to be a part of something. You know, if you've ever, if you played sports in school, and you were ever a part of, and it doesn't have to be sports. It can be just some kind of team or club. And you've been a part of something, you know, people trying to achieve the same goal. Um, that, that's something that as you become an adult, and if you're going to work in a high rise and, you know, you're sitting at a desk punching the clock, a lot of people don't feel like they're a part of that. So to recreate that feeling for people, it's great. It's fantastic. And, you know, you try to show appreciation, you reward them. We 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 do a lot with giving out gift cards here, you know, all the shout outs that go out over the texts and the group chat and just all of that stuff to create a positive culture. So th that's really important. The retention piece, you can't forget about people. I, I, I see so many, you know, people come in here from other companies and they have, um, you know, been somewhere else and it's just, it's not, it does, hasn't worked out for them. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, you go through so much to get people in, in the door and then you forget about them. And so it's important to, to remember them. Yeah. I love that. A lot of times besides obviously being paid as they should be and all of yes. those things that it, it really is about the little things and the appreciation and recognition. The wage is important. I, I can tell you this, we overpay people coming you know, out of the trade school, I I think that that's critical. You know, in this marketplace, I'm not the biggest company, right? I might be the the most well awarded, and you know, the LA Times keeps voting us, the the readers keep voting us the best company in Los Angeles, which is great. We love that at those accolades, but we're certainly not the biggest company in town. There's a couple of fifty and sixty million dollar companies in town, and the, all over the airwaves, you know, just saturated. I see their employees and. I interview them and I don't, I don't know that, you know, a lot of these companies do a great job of, of staying in touch with, with, you know, with people and keeping them happy. So that's important. You know, it's important for anybody that, that runs a business. It doesn't matter what kind of business it is. It's just people feel forgotten about unless you're constantly, you know, engaging with them. So, and as, as an operator, I should be engaging with them. You know, I'm out there in the parking lot with everybody this morning. I, because it's important. They need to see me. They need to see that I'm in the battle with them and I'm asking them how they're doing. And I'm, that's just, that's the way I've always done it. And, you know, you're approachable that way. I, I can't just walk in the door and lock myself in an office and, you know, nobody's going to want to work here if that's the case. So, yeah. That's awesome. I feel like we've covered so many practical things to be able to 
get the right people on your team and keep them there. And I'm sure our listeners are going to want to learn more and to be able to connect with you. So what's the best way for them to do that? Um, You know, honestly, I'm happy to chat with anybody. I've got such a, I've got so many contractor friends who um, I've got a wide network, right? Many years. And um, uh, the best way to probably reach me is by email. And um, my email address is my first name, Lawrence, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E at BrodyPanel.com. That's my company. Brody is B-R-O-D-Y. Panel is P-E-N-N-E-L-L.com. And uh, I, I answer all my own emails. I don't have an, uh, an assistant that uh, does that for me. So I'm, you know, I'm here to help and I'm willing to talk to anybody who has an interest in growing their business and being a better contractor. Amazing. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So if anybody's listening and wants to connect, you can go to beyondthetoolspodcast.com for all the details on Lawrence. This has been an amazing conversation and I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much, Lawrence, for sharing with us. Thanks for having me on, Crystal. Hey guys, if you love this episode, if you learn something here from Beyond the Tools, you can actually head to our website at beyondthetoolspodcast.com and you can sign up to get updates whenever we have a new episode. So go to beyondthetoolspodcast.com. You'll see the option there to sign up and we'll send you the new episodes as soon as they're released. 